So, uh, let's just think about it for a second. We're back. Are we? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're back. And we're back with vengeance. I was just telling people to turn on the TV. It's like, it's always a party, so... Oh yes, it's definitely. I like the I like the vibe of the lights. They kind of like go together. You know, I try to do a little something something for the people. Them. Okay. Well, <laughs> y'all, we got a lot to discuss today. We got earnings season. We got the FOMC. Come on. We got so much more on deck. So, uh, without further ado, cue that intro. Can't get out of this mood. What's up, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things galactic. And give it up all the way over there from Leisureton. We see you with the crown she wears. None other than the wonderful... It's Jill and GC in the place to be totally. We back. How are you doing, Mark? Yes. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling good. Family's good now. So I'm ready. I'm just ready. Uh, I think today was going to be a little different, though. You know, everybody's so accustomed to, you know, a lesson plan and everything else. I feel like it's time to take it a little bit back old school. You know, uh, there's something good about going old school, especially when it comes to the Come Up series. Uh, If you're new to the show, uh, welcome. Like, in the words of Bernie Mac, welcome. (laughs) If you're not new, if you're an OG cousin, what's good? And on top of that, go ahead and let's just get some of these uh, formalities out of the way. Like, for example, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button down below. And on top of that, if you want to be in the know, just like, who was it this time? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? I didn't mark it down. Who was it? Oh, okay. (laughs) What's good, Johnny? (laughs) You were first... You were first in the chat because you had your notification bell going on. I'm getting like, you know, some potato salad controversy going on sometimes in the chat, like where people are talking about, like, look, Mark, I have my notification bell going on. Is YouTube playing favorites? I don't know. Uh, you may want to take that up with YouTube, but I just know for the fact that good uh, good old cousin of Johnny was first in the chat, had, an, had his notification bell on, and he was first here. So we salute you, my guy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So if you want us to shout you out in the next video, make sure that you have your bell turned on so that way we can like throw you in the video. And on top of that, um, let's go ahead and get some of the obvious stuff out of the way. Like, for example, if you like the Come Up series and if you like the videos in which that we do and if you like the discussion, just be friendly and just smash the like button. We totally appreciate it. All right. So outside of that, Joe Lynn, in the words in the in the words of a once of a, well, in the words of a celebrity, when we come to this market, doing. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it together. First, let me take a sip though. Let me just I only got one. You know. I'm feeling that week off. I'm feeling just a little um rusty, but anyway, let's see what's up with these markets or whatever. First of all, let me just say that it's a brand new month, Mark. Like that's wild. Today is the first. Oh my gosh. Okay, so October finished green, Mark. It really did. It did. Despite the soft, pillowy, soft earnings from some of our mm-hmm. big tech folks. Shout out to Apple though for still, you know, just being ahead of the pack and doing its own thing. Taping for the market. You're like, Apple's like, you ain't gonna hold me down. I'm here. I'm out here in traffic. All right. So the Dow was up 
psych, the Dow was down <laughs> today, negative 79.75 points. So now we're at a level of 32,653.20. Okay. The S&P 500, negative 15.88. We're at uh, 3,856.10 points now. And the NASDAQ, negative 97.30. We are below that 11,000. Um, we are currently occupying space at 10,890.84. And the VIX, the VIX came on down because in October it was running high. It came, it's down now to 25.81. And the mm. US 10 year is up um, 4.8. 0.42%, although I think it um, came down just a little bit from yesterday. But the point is, is yep. that it's over 4%. That's the point that I want to make in all this. And then for our sectors, you know, Mark, even though we took a break, there are still 11 sectors. There you know, I thought we could change it. I thought we could make it 12, but apparently not. We just didn't have the power yet. No. So... Let's see. We like to keep track of the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. We have energy, financials, and utilities holding it down. Uh, let me just say something about energy because I had um, some people in town this weekend and, you know, we were driving and we drove past a gas station. And my friend, she um, currently lives in Greenville, South Carolina, and she saw mm -hmm. our gas prices and was shocked. She's like, oh, no, that's not what's going on in South Carolina um, so I think her gas prices are around $3 up here. It's around, it's a little under $5, which yep. seems outrageous. So, you know, these um, energy companies are like, if you check their earnings, which a lot of them, their earnings got released, like they are making billions, like so much money. And it's like, come on now, can y'all share the burden of the pain that the consumers feel at the pump? Like, is it... You know, you know, word on, word, on, word on my street is, is that a lot of the energy companies, since they're running into a lot of cash, you're going to start hearing when you hear their earnings about a lot of, again, stock buybacks and increased dividends. But I think investors definitely want to know, like, where else are you investing that capital? So it's going to be very interesting for the energy department. Well, you know, um, President Biden, he basically said that it was a wind a windfall of war. You know, all these profits that the oil companies are mm -hmm. making. And so it'll be interesting to see um, what they're what they plan to do about that policy wise, if they're you know going to be taxing or what, what they're going to do about that. So <clears throat> back to these sectors uh, we have for the bottom three technology, consumer discretionary and communication services. My top three are on the bottom three, but that's fine. <clears throat> Moving on. There are <laughs> we have like if you are new or maybe if you're not new too, um, if you go to our or to our Instagram page um, called well, the handle is at that come up series. If you go to our Instagram page and you kind of like use your thumb and scroll through if you're on your mobile device, you can find our latest picks. Those picks stay tuned because we're coming towards the end of the year. So we will have new ones coming out. But for right now, um, you can look at those and you can follow along with the performance of those picks. So in placeholder number one, the top three, we got SQQQ with 3.06 percentage points to the upside. We have a meta at uh, 2.19 percentage points to the upside and Lamb Research 1.96 percentage points to the upside. Now, you know, when SQQQ is on the top, then you got TQQQ on the bottom and they are negative 3.10 percentage points in alphabet, um, ticker symbol G, double O, G, L, negative 4.27 percentage points and Amazon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. As you can see, <laughs> consumer discretionary was the second to last on the sector. And, you know, Amazon is a huge portion of that uh, consumer discretionary. And rightfully so, they are negative 5.52 percentage points. Um, so there is that. Mark. Okay. So there were so many things that happened um, with earnings. Yes. Um, I definitely want to talk about, you already know, we got to talk about Uber because Uber, they're making all this revenue, but what is it doing for their shareholders? And then also, <laughs> right. Okay. And then also I want to talk about like the potential of what it looks like for Tesla to okay. come over that market share in Uber with their mm-hmm. robotaxis whenever that's coming. You already know Cybertruck. We already have some economic data coming out this week, tomorrow, um, FOMC, and then I think on Friday, CPI um, and jobs report. So there's a lot of stuff happening this week that this is like that. Ugh, can I even talk? This is that like, can I talk? Like, hold on, let me take some water. Like, it's okay. Take a sip. Take a sip. Position making week. Like, yes, this is the time to like think about your position. Yep. And your positions. True. So it's very, it's very interesting because, you know, as we go towards Q4, Q4 is typically known as the better quarter, um, especially like in times like this, um, because the worst is kind of like we already know it. And then it's like the market kind of gets, it gets exhausted. Um, And now it's like, we're looking towards 2023, which I think a lot of investors, a lot of money managers, a lot of portfolio managers, Everybody across the board is kind of like looking at, okay, 2022 is pretty much over. So now it's time to position ourselves for 2023. Um, I think that the biggest part, and if you were in on the Twitter spaces that I had yesterday with Dan Ives, he kind of like threw it out there, um, which is pretty much a lot of the tech companies that you see, or a lot of the companies that you see that are down this year, though that they had phenomenal years the year before and the year before that. Now it's like they're taking their medicine and it's like now, like some of the sectors that we're seeing, like they've already taken their medicine and now you're just like letting the symptom, you're just waiting for the symptoms to subside. Mm. And some of them, they've just taken their medicine and now the symptoms are going to start to hit for a little bit. Um, And I think that that's what we're kind of like starting to see with companies like Amazon, where it's like, okay, hey, Amazon got punished brutally after their earnings where they significantly dropped, I think it dropped like 14%, but then later closed 6% that day, which was bizarre. Um, I'm really watching the consumer discretionary uh, sector because I'm wondering, will there be a rotation that will take place within that sector? I want to give a huge shout out to Lawrence because he actually brought this up in a conversation where he was like, you know, you know, asking the question of could we potentially see Tesla, their market cap overtake Amazon? And there's a strong possibility, you know, that that could happen, though, that again, you're going to have your Amazon faithful out there that are going to probably stay tried and true. And I think that that will probably stay temporary. And I think that that's just a more so watch the consumer, uh, watch the consumer sectors, and then also watch enterprise spending. Um, and then, of course, it's like, you know, the one thing that I, I'm still noticing that nobody is talking about, Jolene, mm. is that the three months inverted the 10 year. I was waiting for you to bring that up. Oh, OK. Well, <laughs> on yields. And I was like, well, Mark's definitely going to talk about this. this I've, you know, I've been like, you know, like everybody's just like been like kind of like very nonchalant about it. Like, huh? Like, you know, everybody's talking about the two year. You know, I want to talk. I want to talk my talk for a second. You know, can I talk it? Because like, we've been talking about two year inversion over the 10 year for quite some time. 
And it was like, okay, we saw the negative two GDP quarters. um, And then it's just like, okay, but one of the things that I said was, you know, watch for the three month to invert the 10 year. When you see that happen, then at that, like the two year, it's like you can literally invert the two year and then it's like a recession can be inverted, you know, technically. But a three month inverting a 10 year, that's a whole different ballgame. So I think that now, I think now is the time to start the clocks of, over the next nine to probably 12 months, you're probably going to be hearing the words recession come forth. And so it's like, and it was, I think it was like where the, where the three month had went up to about 4.1 and the 10 year was at four. And then the 10 year dropped down to 3.9 and the three and the three month was holding. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. I know this is kind of weird when I make those like type of actions and the camera reacts to, so I'm getting, I'm getting used to it. (laughs) So used to it too though like (laughs) (laughs) so um that is a very very interesting thing to watch and then another thing to watch is the one year because if you notice the one year is now outperforming the two year so it's kind of like getting a little crazy because normally when you look at the when you look at the yields uh from let's say the one month all the way to the 30 year you kind of like see a little bit of congruence there, but it seems like there's something that's broken in the chain. And we saw that a little bit earlier where it was like two year, like the the mid year to two year treasury yields. And now we're seeing it within the month to a year. So it's getting very much so closer. So the question is, could it be between uh, three months to the, over the next 12 months that we could possibly be seeing that the market has been pricing in something to be dropping within that time span? And so I would be on the watch for that over the next three months to 12 months as it pertains to what is going to drop or what information is going to happen. I'm not really in the camp of the three month uh, per se. I'm more so in the camp of probably the, the between about nine to 12 months. We should probably see some type of reaction as it pertains to us actually officially being in a recession. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Speaking of pricing in, mm-hmm. we have um, FOMC tomorrow. So Yes, we do. Um, tomorrow and I didn't say it I didn't say it <laughs> yeah I want to but I didn't um so okay we already know we're expecting the um the three quarters basis points right or yes not um yep. so what are the chances that after that happens the fed you know starts to speak a little on the on the dovish side and you know it's kind of light and airy like you know for future you know early q1 you know something along those lines what are, what are so the so the chances are is that we're going to definitely like a lot of folks are like kind of like made their peace with the 75 basis point move and then i think that you know the overall consensus is looking at a 50 basis point move in december and then when we go into the new year um we're probably going to have quarter of a basis point or between 50s a quarter of a basis point over the next q or between q1 and q2 and then essentially it's like we just started dissension there, which will later, once when the Fed is done with that period, then of course, depending on what happens, depending on where we are in the economic cycle, if we are in a recession, you never know it could trigger another quantitative easing period just to get the market or just to get markets, credit markets up and stabilized or up and running again. Um, because once you go into a recession, you don't want to go into a deep, deep recession. That's the one thing that the Fed wants to avoid. Um, the biggest thing that's, that's the challenging part is the labor market. So labor force participation, which is a huge number that they're, that they're, that they're watching. 
because of the fact that, okay, hey, that signals that the market is still hot. Um, so that, I think that that was one of the things that we saw earlier today in the market, which kind of like spooked investors to say, oh, well, this could possibly, instead of us going just four 75 basis points, hey, who knows? It could be a fifth 75 basis point move. Um, well, and personally me, um, this is just my personal opinion. I'm of the guys that, uh, that they, they went aggressively very quickly. And then I think that as, as fast as they became aggressive, I think that they're going to start. I don't, I don't think that they're just going to pivot and just say, we're going to just stop. I think that they're going to literally start to descend now on the severity of those rate hikes, you know, because one of the things that I want people to understand is like a lot of times people are like, oh, well, rate hike just hit. But a lot of times those rate hikes need to take about between six to nine months to go in through the system. So to flow through the economy, some things will be immediate that you they'll feel like a shock immediate. But then others, it's like, okay, it's going to take some time. So, and what do I mean by that? Like you can easily see that like real estate buying in some arenas has completely gone into correction. So home values have started to drop, but yet interest rates for mortgage interest rates have climbed, which means that nobody is looking to buy. Um, even if you're possibly even looking at a variable interest rate. Um, so there's that. Then on top of that, when we look at auto buying, that's also a thing that a lot of times people are looking at Tesla and saying, okay, hey, could we potentially see a demand crush for Tesla vehicles? Given in the sense that, you know, and they're making this argument by saying that, well, because the vehicles are expensive right now, but there's one thing for people to understand this. When you purchase a Tesla vehicle, you're locked in at the price in which that you said that you were going to buy it at. So even if like there are people that are literally buying Teslas and like literally walking into a 12 grand appreciation of the vehicle, like it was funny. I think earlier this year, we heard that people were playing stock market with their Tesla vehicle purchases. So they would literally purchase the car and then essentially sell it off to somebody at a higher value. And then essentially like, you know, all right, well, I'm going to wait for the next price to come down so that way I can get another Tesla. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing to keep in mind. I can't say that on behalf of every single auto manufacturer, auto dealer, but, uh, I definitely am in the camp of 75, 50, and then potentially 50 to 25 and then 25, 25. So that's, that's my, that's my case for, are we at rate hike? So I think that we're, we're now at the part where we're going to come down from it because normally when you get to a place of like, you know, if the, you know, the one year, gets to a 5% or a 6%, that actually is not good for the market. Mm. That's not good for the economy. So those are things to also take into consideration as well. Yeah. So on um, Friday, we have um, a, ugh, can I, why can't I talk today? It's because I'm rusty. Okay. So for Friday, we have some, um, oops, hold on. Camera's glitching over here. Mm -hmm. We have some, um, we have the job reports numbers coming out. And one thing that I've noticed just being, you know, in the field, like taking, making this information real life and applying it and just being on the lookout for it. Um, one thing I've noticed is that there are so many places that have like closed temporarily due mm -hmm. to shortage and staff, like they can't find anybody to work. Um, we were looking for a brunch place on, over the weekend we had to go to three places before we found a place that actually was open and had workers. And I just found that really interesting because it's like there's all these jobs, but no one wants to work them, you know? Well, nobody wants to nobody wants to work them at the at the at the value 
mm-hmm. at the current value. And it's like, I think that there's this, there's this jockeying for position as it pertains to the cost of living has significantly gone up in many places. And the rate at which that you're paying, you know, it's like, okay, the economy has an opportunity to essentially say, okay, hey, are, have we really overheated or just the fact that we have a po- we have a potential to address a problem in which that there's a lot of folks that are living well below the poverty line. That a lot of these minimum wages or a lot of these rates in which that people are being offered at, they're not livable. Like they're, they're not livable wages. So, you know, I think that what we're seeing is, and I think that this is a I think that this is a good thing because I think that we'll start to see an equilibrium of what a new, like just as much as we're finding out a new normal within other spaces, we're going to probably discover a new normal as it pertains to wages, um, which is good because it kind of forces the hand from other sides to literally say, okay, hey, well, all right, well, we can wait for politicians to literally move minimum wages or essentially we can let the markets decide. And when the markets decide, it tends to be a little bit more swifter. Um, I think that other thing is if you really want to solve inflation, you know, open up the doors to immigration. Mm. That, that would literally change the entire game. And that's the one thing that I'm like really kind of like sitting back and a little worried about because like, OK, you know, at what at what what are the terms what are the terms of what we're opening uh, at what we open borders as it pertains to immigration? Like, I think that we should, because look at the markets in which that we saw that were completely decimated once when we started closing our borders, like look at agriculture, look at other arenas as it pertains to hospitality. Um, So I think that honestly, there's a ton of markets there that have literally have struggled long before the pandemic came around. I think that the pandemic just ultimately just forced everything at a standstill. And then now it's like, okay, hey, well, other arenas were able to immediately pick back up, but then others are still struggling because of the fact that they already had underlying problems. Like the problems were already there. So like, that's an interesting thing in which that I would say like to, I'm going to keep in the back of my mind going into 2023 to really see how that shakes out and see how that literally starts to address areas of inflation. Um, I mean, I can go on, but (laughs) there's only so much time. There is, there's only so much time. So um, fun stuff. Um, Before we talk about these earnings, I do just want to say that I am excited that there is finally an actual date, although it could get pushed back. We'll see um, for Cybertruck end of (laughs) 2023. Um, so it looks like that Austin plant is really going to be the, the main, the main base for the cyber trucks. Um, you ordered one? Of course I did. <laughs> I ordered pretty early too. So you'll get yours before most then, cause isn't it going to go in order? You never know. I mean, I'm just waiting for them to say that it's now in production. That's it. And wait for I'm waiting on my notification just like everybody else. <laughs> okay. So uh, somebody was like saying, I'm not seeing how immigration helps. Okay. Think about it like this. Immigration helps because of the fact that, okay, you have a certain part of the economy that is wanting for higher wages, but yet you had another part of the economy uh, that that was a lot of immigrant workers that were taking jobs that a lot of folks didn't even want to do. So especially like places in agriculture, like places in which that a lot of hourly based jobs, you know, a lot of your immigrant workers were literally taking on a lot of those roles. But then when we started to crack down on immigration, then that really started to put a foothold in specific industries. So now if you open up immigration, then essentially it's like, okay, hey, now it's like those jobs can possibly get filled. And then essentially it's like, now you can start to, now that those jobs are being fulfilled, now it starts to, it starts to reestablish an equilibrium as it pertains to wage inflation, wage inflation or wage inflows. But I would also like to see like 
the immig immigrants, you know, and that the merging, like re-emerging into the workforce, like I still want their wages to be protected, you know, and yes, like use that as leverage so that they're not just working low wage jobs and that they too have the opportunity to have like a decent wage. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's interesting. Like I said, it's, it's interesting above everything to see exactly how it's going to shake. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's like, you know, one thing does it, that's just one arena. Like there's other arenas, you know, that are going to need to be at play here. Um, but again, it's like, you know, people want higher wages. I mean, that's that's really what it's going to boil down to. And the question is, will companies crack because of the fact that they need to hire folks? Now, the question is also like and people automatically just say, OK, hey, well, you know, they should just pay at higher rate at higher rates. But some businesses just can't afford that. Like mm -hmm. They just can't. Like, you know, sometimes it's, it, it, it ruins the fabric of sustainability or in the short term as it pertains to what the business owner or what the business is, is what it's costing the business up front. I mean, it's, it's a small investment in the, in the upfront side, but also has long-term value over a longer period of time, of course. But again, not everybody is able to stomach that. And I think that that's the challenge. Yeah, someone just mentioned um, also about uh, housing. Yes. So like, for example, though that we see that uh, housing values are starting to drop, we are starting to see that also alongside with those values starting to drop, we're also starting to see that uh, housing and rent is also starting to come down a little bit as well. So that should be interesting. But the biggest thing about it is so for something that represents about 33% of the entire inflation story, it's been taking forever for it to like literally come to light. And that's why it's a major lagging indicator. So that's why you have a lot of folks that are saying, you know, the Fed, I think that you are overcooking this without realizing that you're overcooking it. Mm. And so, you know, that's why people are are really, you know, challenging the Fed and really like, yeah, folks that are writing letters to the Fed to say, hey, maybe just pull back a little bit and let's see where we're at after all of these things that have transpired. Like, that's the major thing. Like, let's see where we're at once we start to see that some of these things started to like literally normalize a little bit. Because if we don't, if we keep going, then you don't know exactly how bad it's going to get because of the fact that the time is going to have to sink in. So, yeah, we'll have to have Cousin Chuck back um, and to talk specifically about those things as well as what he's gathering from his like in-field reports. But yep. I think it's like really, really key to all this because um, we have to know what's really happening out there. Otherwise, all this stuff is just theory. It's an experiment. And who's going to pay? Usually it's going to yeah. be people of color that are going to have to pay. And that's not fair. And one of the things that Chuck said that was like very much so like spot on is that whenever we go through these periods of inflation, it's going to establish a new normal. Not everything is going to go back to its normal to what it once was. Mm -hmm. So, which means that it's like, you know, the, the quote, a rising tide lifts all boats, but also a low tide also sinks all boats as well. But it's going to establish what a new normalcy is. So, for example, as much as we're starting to see an equilibrium amongst minimum wage as well as uh, like rents across the board, yeah, we're going to see new rents at, at, at you know, a new normal levels. But at the same time, we're also going to see, you know, some things like literally where price stability comes back into the market where it's like, you know, like look at like one of the things that I watch is like the cost of like things in Hawaii. Like 
Yeah. Jolyn, did you know that the cost of a gallon of milk in Hawaii, last time I checked, was like, what is it, $15 or $12 or something like that? All I know is that it is high. And whenever my uh, one of my friends comes here, she goes to Trader Joe's and fills up an empty luggage of all her favorite Trader Joe's items that are cheaper here than, you know, she can get over there. Yeah. So, again, it's like, will they come back down to what they were pre-pandemic? Probably not. But will they come down to a place in which that it's much more like <laughs> digestible <laughs> as it retains the price? Probably. So and that's that's the part where we're probably going to have to see those things start to take place. But interestingly, which leads us into, let's say, AMD's earnings, right? Wait, AMD how does that just... lead into AMD's earnings? Because <laughs> <laughs> See, watch the segue. You ready to see my magical segue? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so during the pandemic, right? If we look at the chip sector, mm-hmm. they were the they were dealing with the heaviest amount of inflation before inflation really hit. Remember that? Because mm-hmm. remember, okay, journey back with me and OG cousins. If you're here, just make sure you say present and accounted for. Uh, so because you're going to remember this conversation that we had. Mm-hmm. Remember back in the day of the pandemic, just maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, something among that. You know, can't really quite get the numbers together, but it's like it's somewhere in that arena. Remember when we saw that chips were in very high demand, which was also spiking up their prices to ridiculous levels that was ultimately inflating the price of semiconductor chips? Mm -hmm. Like, remember when I had also did something where I said, okay, hey, a graphics card that like, well, I don't know if you guys can see it, but that graphics card, which is an NVIDIA 3090 um, card, it costs like close to three grand when it's actual msrp price was fifteen hundred dollars but it was because of the fact that the demand was high and the supply was low now here's where it comes into play where you start to see price stability come into play because earlier this year you started to see those prices come down and i remember talking about this where we started seeing that a lot of these chip companies started slashing their prices back to their norm and even even now going below their norm because they started building up so much supply that the demand itself started to take hits. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if anything, I'm watching the semiconductor space as the number one thing that little, and I think the semiconductor space is literally six to eight months ahead of the rest of the market. That's what I've been noticing. Attention to. So, okay. So yes, pay attention to this y'all. Cause I'm look, man, I am giving y'all a gym. So if you guys are not paying attention, do not come back at me and be like, yo, Mark and Jolyn didn't tell me this and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. Because you're hearing it today. So if you need to like hit another extra record on your iPhone or your Samsung phone, go ahead and do so because you want to make sure that you tune into this. So now remember, the semiconductor space has been moving ahead of the rest of the market. It has been doing that since really 2019. So remember, demand was high, supply was low. So now demand has started to come down. And in, pro- and, and part of that, you started building, you started seeing supply levels start to rise up. Now, of course, you can also attribute other things like cryptocurrency and all that other stuff, like taking a hit and everything else. And then, of course, you saw a flood come into the market as it pertains to the secondhand market. Okay. So now we sit in a place where it's like, okay, you saw that a lot of these chip companies taking hits, not only just because of what's taking place in China and Taiwan, but it was more so because of the fact that their supply inventory levels were ridiculously high. So now that they're flushing out some of that inventory by selling them at pretty much at cost or below just to remove the inventory. So some of them had already said, okay, hey, we're taking a loss. 
How do we know this? Um, don't y'all recall where they've been talking all year about the PC market, like literally like being at a significant slowdown or being in correction? Well, yeah. what could cause the PC market to be in correction? Oh, you guessed it. The fact that the demand started to come down because of the fact that they were overfilled with supply and now that there's so much supply within the marketplace. Now, of course, it's not going to stop these companies from developing the bleeding edge, uh, the cutting edge technology or the next chip or whatever it is, the next innovation. It's not going to stop them from doing that. So now what we start to see is the fact that, OK, hey, here we are. AMD just told you that before their earnings came around, hey, we expect about a billion dollar hit to our earnings because of the fact that what was it? What was it? Oh, OK. Yeah, it was definitely the fact that we were oversupplied. So now we're going to have to take a loss on that, which is about a billion dollars towards our sales, which, by the way, they came out, you know, they did. They, they bend. They were bending, but they didn't break. And here we are. So now what I'm probably guessing is we're starting to see a lot of that flush out of the semiconductor space where I'm probably guessing over the next three to six months, you're probably going to see that the semiconductor space is probably going to be starting to buzz again. So I just want to put it out there just for the record. Y'all didn't don't ever come back to me and tell me like, look, man, Mark, you didn't tell me nothing. I just did. SMH. Stop it. Okay, so keeping in this vein of um, semiconductors and whatnot, um, we definitely got to talk about, um, dang, my camera keeps, can you see that on that end? My camera keeps glitching. It's not showing up. No, I see you. You're fine. Okay. It's showing up on this end, but maybe I'm ahead of it, just like um, the semiconductor market. Okay, so anyway. I see what um, you did there. Okay, so for, let's talk about U.S., China um, and these this policy <laughs> that we're putting into place really to curb competition and to make sure that America stays competitive in this market. Okay. There are basically, I don't remember what year it was. It was earlier in the 2000s. So I don't remember if it was 2018, maybe it was 2018 when um, basically control was given to the, like wide control was given to the executive branch for mm. export um, control and things of that nature, specifically yep. to address this issue of competition. Yep. So yep. Um, it before it seemed like, you know, US and China were kind of in like this in step together. And now it seems like mm-hmm. there's like decoupling because it's like, okay, look, y'all can't get bigger than us. We got to stay number one. Um, and so with that, as well as the semiconductors being ahead of things, what are you seeing coming down um, the pipe? So um, we're already starting to see it come down the pipeline. Like, for example, a lot of the Chinese based companies, like, for example, your Alibaba's and even your TikToks and some of the others, um, they're literally starting to expand upon what is it that they've already built? Like many of them are starting to make e-commerce like TikTok is like now getting into the e-commerce space of clothing business to literally challenge companies like an Amazon mm. and they're selling there. The market that they're targeting is the U.S. based market. Now, in certain areas, some of them are competing in other areas. They're like, OK, hey, we want to have a opening hand and work better together and build a better relationship. Um, I look at it like this. There's only like, what, maybe 400 million people here in the United States. And of course, we are a consuming economy. But at the same token, we are an innovating economy now, but the other, the other challenge to that is, is that China is a manufacturing economy. They're also becoming an innovating economy um, that is also not afraid to take risks as we've seen, like, you know, some of them pan out well, 
and some of them turn into like an Evergrande situation. Um, but the thing is, is like they're not afraid to take those calculated risks. And I think that those companies are now getting the green light to go ahead and say, okay, hey, let's push a little bit further. Um, I think that this could spell trouble in the short term. Or I, I wouldn't say it's trouble. I just think that it would be like a mosquito bite. I think that this is going to be a mosquito bite to some of the U.S.-based companies, especially a lot of your big players. Because now your big players are now in a market, especially when we find ourselves in recessionary environments, you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, hey, what's our next big thing? What's our next big step? You know, the greatest of companies that figure it out, they figure it out during times of downturn or during times of, you know, recession. I've talked about it to probably to the, to the form of nauseam. Uh, to everybody. So we don't have to rehash that. So like, for example, you know, you're starting to see, you know, companies literally have to not only rethink their business model as it pertains to what is it that they do well, but what is it that they're going to do well? So, and a lot of folks are like looking at Apple to say, okay, hey, you may have to acquire some companies or companies are going to have to go on the acquisition route. Um, or they're just going to have to figure out like what's next. You know, that's one of the reasons why Meta is probably taking its biggest hit because of the fact that they've spent so much, but yet at the same token, its core business is struggling. Whereas a lot of the Chinese-based businesses, they're doing fine. It's just a matter of they're just they're just victims to the economics of the country. And when those economics start to turn around, then essentially it produces an opening for them. Um, so again, it's like. I think that the I think that U.S. companies need to step it up. Um, I think that U.S. companies need to get back into the lab of what made and, and figure out like you know these are the things that made us leaders. Like I see the small incremental changes that are taking place. Um, I see the things in which that we are moving forward on. Like you know if I'm looking at like let's say a Netflix, they're going very heavy into their bag of ac acquiring gaming companies. You know, but if you journey back with me, if we Man, if you journey back in time when I was talking about Netflix and I was saying, hey, Netflix should get into e-commerce where they should start selling, building merch lines and everything else that surround the brands as it pertains to you know their titles. They didn't do that. Well, who just recently announced that? Disney did through their Disney Plus platform. Uh, and then who else announced that? TikTok which they're creating smaller businesses that are that are very niche markets, but it's creating verticals for their business. So, I mean, not really TikTok themselves, but the company ByteDance. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like, it's very, very interesting to see exactly how it's playing out. And one thing I forgot to mention when I mentioned the chip sector, um, because somebody had mentioned the question about what about Intel? Does that give Intel a chance to catch up? It does, but I don't think that Intel investing into, you know, literally having foundries here in the U.S. is the way to go. Because when you rate, when you go into the market as it pertains to a high price market, then that means that the cost of the products are going to go higher. And when the cost of the products go higher, people are not going to want to buy it. So, for example, if I buy something that costs $500 because of the fact that it's made over there in Asia, now if it's made over here in the U.S., that price point is going to go from, let's say, 500 to like, let's say, a thousand bucks. I'm not willing to pay that. So I think that, that they have to tread very carefully as it pertains to how does that work. Um, but I think that that's the thing when we look at for a lot of companies also. You, I, and I definitely say this, and I'm going to keep hitting, you know, keep hitting on this point. You know, China isn't the only game in town. You know, another place where a lot of folks aren't paying attention to is India. Yeah. India probably stands the best chance to probably become a global powerhouse. India stands the also best chance to surpass China 
as it pertains to population. They stand the chance to surpass China as it pertains to GDP. If you go back and look at in the history of India's GDP over the last five to seven years, it will tell you a story. And go look at China's GDP over the last five to seven years. Those are t- it's a tale of two cities, or in this particular case, a tale of two countries. So again, it's like it's something to definitely pay attention to because the ground is shifting. The ground is shifting as it pertains to where business is being done and where is it that people want to do business and where is it best to do business. So now we um, earlier you you were talking about you know companies figuring out their business plans and what they're what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, let's bring it on back to Uber. <laughs> let's Uber talk it. about Uber. So uh, remember, remember what we said, though, as the economy literally starts to come back. So like AKA stuff like travel and leisure that produces opportunity for companies like Uber to go back to, you know, pre-pandemic levels. And show enough, as soon as like the pandemic, like, you know, restrictions were lifted, people were like, <laughs> maybe there was like that hesitation for like a few weeks. And then they're like, we outside. And since they've been outside, they don't want to go back inside unless it's cold and it's getting ready to get cold again. And I think that it's a good thing because I think that Uber, they definitely hunkered down. They definitely focused on improving their business model. I think that them getting into the grocery store uh, segment to compete against the likes of like an Instacart um, was a huge opportunity for them that they definitely took it, that they definitely took advantage of. Um, So, I mean, honestly, you know, good move on them. Now, the question is, is that there are some looming factors or there's some looming flags that are ahead. Like, for example, will they still be able to keep everybody as an independent contractor? Mm-hmm. If Uber can keep everybody that like that literally, you know, does services, you know, on behalf of Uber, then that's good for Uber. If Uber goes into the if Uber is literally forced into a situation where now all those independent contractors kind of become like employees or something among that line that could possibly hurt an Uber along with many of the other companies like DoorDash and, you know, whatnot. So I would be watching that very, very closely. Um, But again, outside of that, you know, I think that they did a very good move and, you know, shout outs to Uber. They did a great job. They even caught me by surprise because I honestly thought that, you know, in a market where there was so much looming competition, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Dara, but I was, I really had my doubts and I'm glad that in this situation I'm wrong because they're doing very, very well. Now, my so I don't really know what the the breakdown is of like how much money Uber takes from drivers. So if someone, if one of the cousins does Uber, can you please let us know what that what that's looking like? Because well, my, we're not there yet. We're nowhere near close to that. Like we just saw, like what uh, what was it? Was it <laughs> Ford? Ford and Volkswagen are literally trying to figure out exactly how is it that they can dump this like. <laughs> This autonomous vehicle company, they're they're trying to dump it. And look at what happened with Intel and Mobileye. They were like, hey, we got to dump this by sending it and making it go public. <laughs> because there, there's a lot of cash that you're dumping into those businesses that honestly is like, yo, it hurts your bottom line. And especially in this type of arena where it's like your financials got to look beautiful. They got to look beautiful. And when you see the invest, like whenever you're making it, when it shows that you're making heavy amounts of investments that are not producing revenue, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, look at Meta. Meta is investing heavily into something that they believe that they will literally have the cornerstone of a 70% market hold on, which 
for all we know, could be true. But in this current climate, the sentiment is that we do not like we do not like heavy spending in this type of an environment. And so I think that, you know, looking at the autonomous vehicle section, you know, even even Tesla is not, you know, exempt from this part of the conversation. You know, they're definitely a part of it because of the fact that there's a lot of money that went into it. But if you remember earlier in the year, they started cutting back on those FSD departments within Tesla and closing the ranks and shrinking a little bit of that headcount. They were doing that because they saw that there was an early jump and the fact that investors were like, okay, hey, you need to focus on what's the core business, improve the margins there, and then essentially stop spending money that you should not be spending. So again, I would say that, you know, when we come to like, that's going to require level four, level five autonomy. And currently right now, the best that we have is level three and a half. You know, look at Google Waymo. That's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Google Waymo has been ahead of everything. Like they were like there before a lot of other folks are. So I think it's going to come down to Google Waymo, uh, Tesla, maybe NVIDIA drives platform. And then on top of that, Mobileye. Okay. So Airbnb. Mm-hmm. What what are those? Uh, I don't know. What else can Airbnb do? Man, I mean, the thing is, is like the challenges is like, again, when you find yourself in an inflated environment, mm-hmm. you know, the things that are not like the math is just not mathing for you right now, though, that the thing is, is like as travel starts to come back, which we are seeing that travel is starting to return. That's a good thing for the likes of Airbnb, but it's just those other services that they've invested into, like the experiences and stuff like that. Mm-hmm you know, those things like, you know, they're good, but yet at the same token, you know, they're not bringing in the bacon or they're not bringing in the cash flow like you expect them to do. And that's, that's the main challenge. Like that's really, that's really the big challenge for, for an Airbnb. But I think that, you know, I think that that market got oversaturated. I think that a lot of folks were out there like buying up, you know, homes and literally turning them into Airbnbs, which oversaturated the market. Um, and I think that that market is going to I think that that market is going to probably go through a little bit of a correction. But in the grand scheme of things, I think that once when, again, the global economy starts to shift back towards, you know, OK, we're back to the upside, you know, then I think that that's that's a good thing for Airbnb. The question is, is just what are they working on that can literally, you know, really kind of like future proof, mm-hmm. you know, what can future proof the company outside of its main booking side of the platform? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's what I, I would love, you know, a text a text message or something from their C suite on that because I need to know. Because seriously, when I travel, I don't even think about Airbnb anymore. It's like I will take a five star hotel over Airbnb any day. Um, just basically like based off of just the level of convenience and leisure. There's so much mm-hmm. work. There's so much labor associated with the Airbnb. Like they want you to do 50 jillion things before you check out. Who has time for that? Not me. They're doing it. So that's, you know, I will be looking forward to seeing like what what they are going to do to do, as you say, you know, future proof. Simple understanding for everybody. When markets get tight, people pull in money. Mm-hmm. When markets get when markets get a little bit more easier, people push money out into the ether so that way it can multiply. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to think about it when we think about like recessionary environments or just tough environments or tight or, or tight markets. That's literally where we are right now. So a lot of folks are hoarding in right now, and it's like, okay, boom, I'm holding on. I, I need to hold on to cash because of the fact that I don't know. I don't know what's coming down the pipeline. I don't know what's the next shoe to drop. 
But when I start getting a little bit more, when I start getting a little bit more data that literally can give me a little bit more solace or understanding or actual, like, I'm not sitting here where I can have data that answers questions for me Mm -hmm. as it pertains to stuff like timeline, as it pertains to stuff like, okay, hey, you know, what's it going to cost me? Then I still, I start to feel a little bit more, I start to feel a little bit more at ease in, in making it whatever investments that there are into the market. But when there, but when the market had, when there's so many questions that are floating around, you know, it's, it's a, it becomes a tough market. And I think that that's the part where we're starting to see right now, you know, and of course, you know, like I said, there's a lot of folks out there that got into the Airbnb markets and it was very, very good at the time, but that you were dealing with an inflated environment. Now you're seeing those prices come back to normalcy. And I wouldn't be surprised when those Airbnb Airbnb prices also have to come down. And I think that they are starting to come down. Um, but again, it's like that's that's the challenge. That's the nature of the beast. So well, the prices need to come down, but then also like the Airbnb owners need to figure out like their whole you know checkout system with the cleaning and not expect their you know guests to be you know engaging in so much labor when we just we just trying to we just trying to rest. You know what I mean? Why we got to clean someone else's house too? Pay to clean. No, that's not the move. Like, not even a little bit. (laughs) Well, there it is. There it is. Okay, so... Okay, so for earnings, we talked yes. about Airbnb, so I can check that off the mm-hmm. list. We talked mm-hmm. about Uber. Mm-hmm. We definitely talked about um, AMD. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about AMD? Did we, you get everything? Uh, I think I hit everything that I needed to. If okay. not, it's like the, the you know we can we'll always have another episode. Right. Right. Okay. 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 Let me check and see. There were some questions, but I think um, you already answered them honestly and truly. Oh, here's here's a question from someone who is new to the Come Up series. Um, okay. The question is: Besides financials, what determines a good investment? Mm. Viability, <laughs> the, the viability of the of the model, the viability of the marketplace. So, like for example, you know, when I look at a viable business, I'll I'll, I'll give you a hybrid of my VC hat and you know just basic investor hat. When I look at a viable investment, I look at it from the standpoint of, all right, is the business model strong enough? And in specific models of specific times, so for example, in times in which that, you know, when money gets tight for your consumer market, or even if you're in the enterprise level, and if enterprises are being hit because of the fact that the cost of capital is high, you know, are you one of those companies that is probably going to be in the chopping block of services that people will not want to use or products that they will not want to buy or that they can hold off on? If that is the case, you know, that's a that's a ding against your that's that's a that's a crack against your armor. Um, then on top of that, when I look at the market saturation, it's like, okay, hey, how many other players are within there within in the space and is what you bring to the space is it that is it that good where it will literally make other folks who are existing customers at other places once they learn about you that they will immediately want to jump ship and is there enough is there enough vision behind the company that that has after they built this successful moat around it to essentially consistently keep building services on top of it or to innovate products to essentially consistently push the envelope around it that your consumer base will want to buy you know those are the things in which that I look at when I think of viable businesses. And then on top of that, I look at the the management team. You know, is the like for example, best example that I can give you everybody that they'll understand is remember during the time of Steve Ballmer and you know Dan Ives like he took 
it's kind of funny because like that conversation kind of like took the took a lot of the things that i wanted to discuss but it's like it's good because i can just i can just quote it so that way you can go back to that twitter spaces because we kept it recorded but the interesting thing is like and i know this because i was there but during the steve Ballmer days you know microsoft really didn't really move forward it was all about you know sales and everything else when you brought somebody in like a Satya Nadella, who was very much so cloud infrastructure focused, he reinvigorated the company and built the entire, if you notice, think about what Microsoft has become over the tutelage of Satya Nadella. It's literally built around everything that's built around Microsoft now is focused amongst the cloud. They no longer even call it Office anymore. They just call it 365. Mm -hmm. So now Windows is in the cloud. Office is in the cloud. And then on top of that, other service-based businesses are run through the cloud. You know, that's now it's that's now become its moat. Even gaming is through their cloud. So when let's say PC sales are not doing so hot, they're still okay. And that's what I mean by like, you know, where you have the leadership that you put in place that can literally execute and can foresee the things in which that, okay, hey, we need to be taking these steps to make investments when times are good. When times are good, they make the investments. You can always tell who's behind the curve because they want to start making the investments now mm -hmm. when times are bad or when it's like, okay, hey, we're going to do this. But it's like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, technically you should have already been there. So that way, or already in the process of working on it. So that way, when we come out of this arena, when you're, when your customers want to buy, you're ready. And so those are the things that I look at when I check out, okay, hey, is this a viable business? Is this really, is this business really viable where it could stand on its own too? Uh, business that I do, businesses that I don't like are businesses that are too reliant on other businesses. They're too reliant on, say, for example, the sector in order to be there. Mm. I can't stand those businesses or the businesses that just linger on, but they just realize, okay, hey, we're going to, we're going to just keep doing what we do. And it's like, okay, hey, when in times of like, when growth, because like a lot of the weak companies, I'm starting to notice a lot of the weak companies, they've been doing the same thing that they've been doing. And don't get me wrong. Every dog has its day in the market. Every dog has its day. So again, it's like in this particular arena, some of those underperformers are now great performers because of the fact that, okay, hey, we've just been kind of like even kill. But when it comes back to like, okay, hey, when we get back into a growth phase or in that phase of expansion, you know, they get dusted. So it's not to say that I'm like fully like, you know, that don't get me wrong. I love growth companies. I do love some value companies out there. You know, there are value companies out there that also, you know, they innovate. Um, and then there's growth companies out there that choose not to innovate and they innovate at the wrong times. Mm -hmm. So again, those are just like, kind of like my blueprint of how is that I look at companies. And again, it's like, I'm looking at it from again, a VC standpoint where I can look at things over a five to seven year basis and say, okay, hey, that this is going to open up a ton of market share or a ton of market opportunity for this company to carve out a whole new space, you know? So there you have it. Well, there you do have it because it is officially dinner time. <laughs> My husband cooked a lovely meal, so I am ready to eat. But um, next week, we'll be back. We shall. We'll see what's going on, you know, second week of November. See what market shenanigans we'll be talking about. And then by then, you know, we'll have what the Fed said. We'll have that. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out like probably what is it tomorrow or uh, yeah, we'll find out tomorrow. But then we'll get the we'll get the overall conversation on Wednesday. Uh, so so there you have it. <laughs> All, All right, y'all. Right, Thank you guys for watching. Hopefully that you guys were able to partake in some of the conversation or even like, you know, take some solid good notes. Um, keep learning, keep researching, because the more you learn, the more you earn. Until next time. 
I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jolene GC in the place to be. And this has been your come up. We will see you in the next one. Can't get out of this mood. Can't get away.